Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardest, joined pretty much as always by PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we didn't do a day three show. We're going to catch up on everything that happened on Wednesday today. There just hasn't been a ton of huge moves, particularly in the fantasy football world side of things. I know Von Miller and, you know, Randy Gregory and all that stuff going on is very important to real life football. But kind of a slow start at the free agency, Dwayne. We still got, you know, plenty of guys in Leonard Fournette, Allen Robinson, your Will Fuller's of the world still don't have a home. Hopefully they figure it out soon. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen so far, like over this last day, like since the last pod we did, definitely not as huge, you know, as far as breaking news, but um, definitely still some impacts that we need to go through. And to your point, it's just kind of slow. I, I don't like this, Ian. Like the longer we wait on these backs that just aren't getting anything, the more Not likely good. I think it becomes like that you see a Melvin Gordon go back to Denver, right, and join up again with Javonta Williams. I think Javonta would still see more work, but like those are the sort of things like we were kind of hoping to just avoid, which kind of leads us to J.D. McKissick. <laughs> leads us to J.D. McKissick, the star of the free agency, uh, you know, portal period so far. First, seemed like he was going to take his talents to Buffalo on a two-year, $7 million deal. Then, apparently, the reports we're hearing is that he took that offer because Washington hadn't even made an offer to him yet. Once they did, he decided to come back to Washington. So, Frank Gore to the Eagles, you know, Anthony Barr, I think, to the Jets. We've had a handful of these now, and now J.D. McKissick is another one on the list. Dwayne, it sucks. Um... I, you know, released a three second kind of video yesterday on my Twitter where I just use the curse word that I'm trying not to use as much on this podcast. So I won't quite go into those specifics, but uh, everything that we kind of talked about previously about McKissick going to Buffalo is, and that being just beneficial for Gibson is out the window. Once again, Gibson is going to be sharing the backfield with someone that we know his team will play ahead of him on passing downs and throw the ball really more to than anyone outside of Alvin Kamara, arguably at running back. You can throw Eckler in there, but Man, it's not good, Dwayne, and I know you were telling me your uh, updated 2022 rankings. The difference between J.D. McKissick being involved in this offense and not being involved is Gibson being a legit potential top five running back or someone that you gotta got to kind of try to squeeze in your top 20. Yeah, I, I've never seen like a peripheral player like J.D. McKissick make <laughs> me have to erase so many words and rewrite them like in the course of 24 hours. I mean, probably a couple thousand words on different players <laughs> that I had to go back and completely redo. Anyway, um, hey, we, we still love, we love you, J.D. McKissick. He's um, great. He's just it's just annoying for fantasy football. This weird is, ass game is, we yeah. play makes us not love J.D. McKissick, but maybe we should because let's face so, it, he does catch a lot of passes. I had Antonio Gibson in the top six of my offseason to start. Now, again, that starting point, I baked a ton of assumptions into it. So I wasn't trying to blend or assuming someone was going to draft off of that list that day. They still could have used it, right, to see upside and things like that. And I explained it all in my ranks. And now I'm redoing my ranks. I just released them, um, the first draft of those today on the site. But I'm starting to blend together, right? Okay, like not just like assuming everything. Some of these things are kind of in the middle. Like so Javonta Williams – you know, to begin the offseason, I had it two. Now I've got him at seven just because there's it's the longer we wait, the bigger chance, like we said, that, that Gordon comes back. Well, with McKissick, once he was gone, I had moved Gibson up to five and I was riding. And then, you know, he came back and I dropped him down to 19. So I just think 
it's it's a huge difference, man. It's not a very good offense. Um, it could get better with Carson Wentz, but still, are we expecting like some crazy kind of nice touchdown or regression in some sort of a positive in a way? I think no. I think Antonio Gibson is probably basically what we can expect as far as the work he gets inside the five. I don't see that really changing, but I don't see an offense that's going to help buoy that number higher, like what we may get with Javante Williams with Russell Wilson joining in Denver. So with Gibson, it's just hard for me. Um, because they could also add another back. Like I'm not going to, I'm not that worried about it, but they have talked about easing his workload on early downs. So if they ease his workload some on early downs and McKissick's there still to take, um, you know, some of the long down and distance, the two minute offense stuff. And with what they gave McKissick, I don't believe them when they say, well, we're going to get Gibson more involved in the passing game. They said that last preseason too, despite having both backs. I just, I'm not buying it. So I every just team that, says that about every running back, every exactly. offseason. Come on. And that's coach. Look, a lot of that's just psychology. You know, they know their players. They know what they need to say to get them pumped up for the season, get them excited. There's a lot of different stuff going on that has the factors into that. But as far as Antonio Gibson goes, yeah, man, I'm just looking at him now as a mid tier RB two. Not someone that I particularly want to pull the trigger on early. Now, if he starts to slide in drafts, I don't think he's a dead zone back because I think that you could see paths. Like if McKissick got hurt, we know what Antonio Gibson can do. Um, and there, and he is still young. He'll only be 24 years old. So is there an, is there a potential that he could just take over more of the backfield? Is there a potential he could see more of the passing down work? Those are all in the ranges of outcomes, even though we, we're not going to look to the extreme end knowing that they bought, brought back McKissick. Last year, weeks one through 12 with McKissick healthy. Gibson was the overall PPR, RB17, RB11 the rest of the way. And that was including a missed game. So truly, I mean, the sample we had last year uh, pretty much shows, you know, kind of the differences in Dwayne's ranks. Now, Dwayne, the other big piece of this, don't look now, but uh, freaking Devin Singletary might just have that RB1 role all to himself in Buffalo. Obviously, the fact they brought in McKissick in the per in the first place kind of shows that they are looking to add another piece to this offense, but there aren't a ton of scatbacks out there, particularly anymore now that, you know, James White, Brandon Bolden have both, uh, you know, already been signed as well. You still got Giovanni Bernard out there, but I, I would put McKissick, honestly, at least in the year 2022, ahead of probably all those guys, save for maybe James White um, in terms of pass down ability. So, yes, we've seen the Bills are willing to go out and get someone else to add this backfield. At the same time, they lost that opportunity. And now Devin Singletary is once again sitting there as the undisputed RB1 in Buffalo. We still got a while throughout free agency and the draft. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Dwayne, if Buffalo doesn't make any more serious additions to their running back room, how far do you see Devin Singletary kind of rising in these ranks? Because at first glance, man, I think he'd at least need to be in that tier with Cam Akers and Dave. Montgomery because that's basically the ceiling for the role that we're kind of expecting and that we saw and for a lot of the second half of 2021. Yeah, if he makes it through the draft without them and the rest of free agency without them adding competition, that's about where he'll land. I'm kind of splitting the difference right now with how far I had pushed him down versus where I had him. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever the McKissick news had first broken, which was right around like 19. And then I was like, okay, let's just think through like, what else potentially happened? He doesn't have a ton of draft capital. They've already shown they want to get it back because they, so they could still try to add another complimentary piece. So that's why he lands where he is right now at number 22. If they added something, you know, whenever I was thinking that McKissick was going there, it had knocked him all the way down into the mid thirties. So, I mean, it was a pretty big fall just because we know there still is some potential with Zach Moss. We're not really worried about it. I know we know they get him involved a little bit. You know Josh Allen's going to be involved in the running game. So any anybody else that's added to the equation, right, is just there's just too many mouths to worry about, especially on an offense that's going to throw the ball a lot. You know, they like to go 
um, sometimes 65, 70% of their plays, they'll drop back, you know, so when you're only running 30% of the time in a game and then you're splitting it up among two or three players, that's just not ideal unless you can be involved in the passing game, which we did see a little bit more from Singletary last year. Singletary, really, I mean, I, I understand if people don't consider him like a top three running back in the NFL. I don't myself. But when you do look at the advanced metrics, he's really good. He's not just someone that was benefiting from being in the Bills offense, getting a lot of touches, you know, yards after contact per carry and the missed tackles force per carry, especially. Uh, you see him really popping up there with a lot of other. Yeah, you know, my, my Christmas trees that I make, Ian. <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks good. Like his 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 rushing grades an 82.5. So this this Christmas tree is blue and red. So that's blue. You know, if you look at his missed tackles force per attempt, it's 0.24, and so that's blue. You look at his yards after contact, 3.12, that's blue. Explosive run rate, which are carries of 10 yards more, it's 0.11, so it's 11%, so that's blue. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he hit, he checks a lot of boxes. I mean, he kind of undeservedly gets this rap as just not being a good player, and the only right. reason he's getting anything is because there's no one else there. I mean, that is a factor for sure, but, I mean, we need to give Devin Singletary a little bit of credit. Like, he's played well. Last five weeks of 2021, RB 14, 7, 10, 5, and 3. That's the ceiling that we have seen with Singletary when he is the featured Bills back. They've done it several times throughout his career, but then they brought in Zach Moss and they brought in Matt Breida. Based on what we're working with right now, though, it does seem like that is the most likely scenario for week one. We'll see what Buffalo does the rest of the way to address the backfield. Uh, Dwayne, a similar situation to the McKissick coming to Washington, I think, is with the Raiders agreeing to terms with Brandon Bolden. I don't think necessarily the public's putting the same sort of importance on it, though. Brandon Bolden, the only two teams in the league that I think we would care about him on offense are the Patriots and the Raiders, obviously because Josh McDaniels, <laughs> who spent literally 10 years with Brandon Bolden in New England, is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So if you look at what happened last year, the second James White left that offense, Brandon Bolden just seamlessly replaced him. It was really the first time of Bolden's career that he had an extensive uh, you know, look in the offense. But the whole year, man, he kept working ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, ahead of Damian Harris. And look, Harris and Stevenson, they aren't complete liabilities in the past game. Stevenson in particular seemed like he could show some extra juice out there that arguably Bolden didn't even have. But not only did Bolden sign with the Raiders, there's also some rumors that they were interested in James White beforehand. Let's not forget, they just restructured Kenyon Drake's contract. He's going to be back in the picture. Dwayne, it took until like the final five, six weeks of 2021 for Josh Jacobs to really get going. And even then, I mean, it wasn't like he was putting up bonkers numbers or anything. But similar to Antonio Gibson, he was only putting up really consistent numbers at the end of the year once all his team's pass catching backs were out of the picture. I think Bolton's going to be a part of the committee. And doesn't make sense for a 30-plus-year-old, you know, career special teamer to be taking away pass snaps from Josh Jacobs. Probably not, but we've seen McDaniels do this time and time again in New England. I think Jacobs, and I saw in your rankings, you have Marby 28, so I think we're on the same page here. I think Jacobs is really looking at the sort of role that he was probably going to have in 2021, which is not good, before the injuries happened. Yeah, I mean, and when Jacobs did come on down the stretch, it's because Kenyon Drake and Jalen Richard were out. <laughs> so exactly. I mean, they had to go with him. Look, Josh Jacobs is a player that like, I think he could do more than what the team gives to him. I'm not a Josh Jacobs hater. It's really just the role. The role has never evolved into more than just being an early down back when the other players in the backfield have been healthy. So I just don't see a scenario where we don't see that again. I mean, first of all, you've got Josh McDaniel come into town. 
And we know that Josh McDaniels loves to use three backs. Like he's done it forever in New England. And so we talk about sometimes there's coaching trends that we fade and we're like, yeah, that's no big deal. Like look at the talent they had. And then there's other times where we're like, you know, like the Bruce Arians big slot receiver, like it happens over and over and over and over again. And you see them go target certain players to fill those roles. It's kind of the same thing I think we're seeing here with McDaniel. We know you're going to have Kenyon Drake, who's probably going to be the better passing down option anyway. And then now you have Bolden, who probably also is a better passing down option as far as being able to run routes that aren't just swing passes and check down stuff behind the line of scrimmage. Again, not a knock on Jacobs. Most backs like really like they're good at behind the line of scrimmage. But when you ask them to start doing stuff downfield, it's just not as easy. I mean, it's more of a receiver skill set and the way that a lot of these guys are built and wired, you know, they're not great at it. So it's not a big knock on him, but it just, to me, it just points that I don't really see the upside for Jacobs outside of the fact that we know he could be a good running back, but we just know that there's not really, I don't see a path to an every down roll. I think he has two blockers to that now. And it's not even clear if he's going to have as much of a dominant, like, early down role in the past. I mean, Kenyon Drake, it seemed like earlier in Drake's career, I understand that, you know, he was really someone that was creating a lot of explosive plays and you could use him more in the passing game. But when John Gruden kind of signed him and was, you know, talking about, oh, we're going to use him more a wide receiver and stuff, it just didn't seem like, you know, based on his last year in Arizona, he still had that same sort of dynamic ability. So, it, yeah. It's looking like a three RB backfield. And as we always say, Dwayne, we can live with two back committees in the year 2022. Three is when things get a lot more difficult. So uh, with the Patriots, though, McDaniels only gave four running backs at least even 200 carries uh, during his time there. 2016, LeGarrette Blunt. that's the one, you know, we always try to, you know, go back to if we're trying to push for Harris or Stevenson having a big year. But other than that, man, 2012, St- Stefan Ridley, Sonny Michelle got there twice, but never over 250 carries. Even 2021, Damian Harris. I know he had some injuries just 202 rush attempts though so Jacobs I mean he's been someone that's flirting you know much closer to that 300 touch mark than the 200 touch mark uh over each of the first three years of his career I would bargain in probably gamble that he's going to be closer to 200 than 300 by the time 2022 is done also I saw some people freaking out on Twitter because Josh Jacobs is always sending some cryptic tweets he's uh been uh public about his hate for fantasy football over the years I wish he would go full heel and keep on with it but that's a story for another day anyway jacob if i were josh jacobs or antonio gibson i would also hate fantasy football i would (laughs) (laughs) and it's not even their fault they can't help it like their coaches just choose to do these things you know so just and just a reminder everyone don't add these players if they want to look up if if you want to say something about them they look up their name okay they wanted to go see what people were saying about them so be it and you can you know live with that generally don't try to be a dick but i think you can say that about anything in life just don't add the players remember they are humans too. Yes, exactly. you can get your message across without being a dick. Exactly. Anyway, Jacobs on Twitter said, "I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to Raiders Nation. You'll see why soon." Then said he's going back to his roots. I'm pretty sure Dwayne, reading between the lines here, he's going back to number eight, which he wore at Alabama. So hopefully, that's all Jacobs is talking about there. And hey, maybe it makes him a better football player. Who the hell knows, Dwayne? Look good, feel good, play good. After all. One more running back situation to really talk about is the Dolphins signing 49ers week one starter for all of two carries, Raheem Mostert, to a one-year $3.125 million contract. Mostert told ESPN's Justina Anderson that the head coach, obviously Mike McDaniel, told me my role will be similar to what it was in San Francisco, but he still expects me to compete. 
I mean, one year, $3.1 million. It's not, you know, the same sort of endorsement that they put into Chase Edmonds. But similar to Brandon Bolden, man, there's two teams in the NFL that we really had to worry about Mostert coming in and taking away a large chunk of the snaps for however long he's healthy. It was San Francisco, and now it's Miami where he ended up. So uh, Chase Edmonds, you know, when he got signed, I think we were both kind of on the same page, not necessarily expecting a huge featured role. I mean, the history of these running backs leaving their team in free agency. I've read the list on here several times now. Don't need to keep doing that. It's not good, everyone. So right now, Dwayne, it seems like Mostert, Edmonds maybe splitting early down work, although I probably give the nod to Mostert getting the majority of it as, as long as the wheels are on. Edmonds getting a lot of the pass down work. Who knows what Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed are going to do? And again, there's a lot of free agency, a lot of draft time left for them to do something else. Do you see either Mostert or Edmonds being someone that you're going to be targeting as a top 30 running back? Well, first of all, we need Josina Anderson to go back and actually qualify, you know, his answer, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, Hey, the role I had in San Francisco, which one, like the yeah. one five years ago or the one like two years ago, one where you're supposed to be featured as their starter <laughs> last year before you got hurt. Yeah. yeah. So now, now with what he said, but he still expects me to compete. It sounds like it was really more his early where he was a change of pace guy and he played special teams. Um, you know, early on, he was just a special teams player. So I'm assuming it's really more of that hybrid, going to play some special teams, maybe take 30, 40% of, of the workload, depending on who else they may sign. But I think it's just a definite cap on Edmonds' upside. Now, Mostert, you know, he's got to stay healthy and do his part. He is an older back. So I, mean, I think there's still potential for Edmonds to have value. And this isn't going to knock Edmonds too far down for me. He's not going to knock him down really honestly at all, just because I'm a, I was already assuming there was going to be some form of a committee and I was pretty yeah. much capping in my mind. Edmonds like high end right now, I was thinking where I've got him ranked, probably getting half of the rushing attempts. Right. And seeing a lot of the passing down work, which is still going to be valuable. Right. I mean, that's going to put him inside, you know, your top 25, top 30 backs, um, you know, just with the way the landscape looks right now. So and I, and I know that Edmonds does carry some upside. Um, so it didn't really matter like what name it was. I guess it makes sense to me with it being Mostert, um, just because, you know, someone that Mike McDaniel is very familiar with. So that makes sense. Some Deshaun Watson news, not crazy enough news, but he has dropped the Cleveland Browns from his uh, list of teams that he is considering. So Cleveland basically jumped into this, pissed off their quarterback and is now not getting the uh, guy they wanted. <laughs> uh, I, I did see someone bring up the good point and, and look, you know, I, I've, probably bash Baker more than I should here. Mostly out of my love for OBJ, but uh, anyway, we don't need to go down that road again. I will say, I mean, looking at how Tua, how Jalen Hurts, how even Jimmy G kind of handled their teams looking for quarterback upgrades versus Baker, uh, it has been, you know, quite the stark difference in how that has gone on. We will see where Watson goes. Sounds like things are between the Saints and the Falcons. I'm sure he'll decide as soon as we are done with this podcast. Any interest, Dwayne, in Raheem Moser? It seems like if he stays healthy, maybe we can get double digit carries but i mean at this point you know expecting him to stay healthy just seems like a bit of a pipe dream and even if Edmonds got hurt i mean just most of it seems like one of these backups where he's probably not going to inherit a featured role i'm scrolling i'm not seeing him uh really too much i don't even see him in your ranks uh to be honest so uh is he someone that you're gonna see well, maybe have, I'll in have the later to, yeah, rounds or yeah, there's a bunch of guys that were still free agents that okay, I, just, that's that, that I didn't I didn't put them on there. So most are signed after it came out. But I'm going to add him. But I mean, like just looking at my list right now, like where is he going to fall in there? You know, he's, he's going to still fall towards, you know, the end of the list. You know, he's going to be down in the 50s, somewhere in there. Um, but I do think there's upside. Like if you're playing in a deep league, I think he's a guy that all of a sudden if he has to start for the Dolphins, 
four or five weeks and you know he can get on a heater if Chase Edmonds gets hurt. Like I do think that Mostert is still a capable player. He was still explosive in the last year that we saw him play. And he doesn't, even though he's an older player, it's not like he has a ton of carries on him, you know? So I do think that if he had to step in and play for a few weeks, that could be good. And and that could potentially cause a problem for Edmonds because once, you know, you know how the, the, the Shanahan kind of scheme goes, a lot of times they will ride a hot hand, but that's basically the path I see to really seeing any value in Mostert is there's an injury and he becomes the hot hand for a few weeks. And then maybe that really kind of gives him a wedge into widening his role for the rest of the season. I'm envisioning it right now. Most are like week one, 10 carries, like bust off like a 40 yard touchdown, but only plays 30% snaps. He's on every single waiver wire week two article, you know, cover in the freaking country. But you and myself, Dwayne, will come to people and tell them it's still a committee and to chill the hell out. <laughs> Enough running back talk. The Titans, rather shockingly, I didn't expect it at least, released wide receiver Julio Jones, only scored one touchdown. Should have been two. I don't forget about that damn Seahawks play where he had his two feet in bounds, but oh well. Well, obviously it wasn't the sort of year that the Titans were expecting him to have. Mostly just came down to injuries that has been his kryptonite over the past two years. He's played in just 19 of 33 games, but now free to take his talents anywhere he pleases. Doesn't seem likely that he's going to be able to get, you know, a mega uh, long-term deal or anything with how many injuries he's been dealing with uh, in recent history. But obviously I would expect there's a lot of suitors out there willing to give him, you know, a one-year prove-it type of deal. So Dwayne, First of all, you know, we'll talk about Julio, I guess, more once he actually gets on a team. I don't want to sit here and speculate about, you know, how he'd fit in for all 32 teams. Let's talk about A.J. Brown because right now, man, looking at the list, I see Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill ahead of him. Is that it? Are we going wide receiver six overall with A.J. Brown? We know the talent's there. It's always been a matter of the targets. And my goodness, Dwayne, I don't know who else they're going to throw the ball to in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Brown, look, I mean, he's just smashed everything. And so, I mean, he's a young player, still got, I mean, he's got upside. He still hasn't hit his ceiling. Um, you know, we've seen him be, we've seen him have these seasons already where really he is the focal point of the offense besides the running game and has been able to be successful. Because, I mean, really, Corey Davis was solid, but he wasn't anything great. Last year, Julio really wasn't a factor. So we know that he can continue to do this. He just has to stay healthy. That's really it. Like, we got to keep the knees healthy. Um, you know, he plays through, he, he reminds me of a young Julio Jones, you know, where he was always playing through the injuries, right. Or you're watching the game. You see him have to take two series off. Like that's Amari Cooper, same way. So you see a lot of that with AJ Brown, but you know, if we get that full one, if we get that 100% season, if it ever happens, like, man, he's just going to blow the roof off of everything. He has the potential to be the wide receiver one in all of fantasy football. Yeah, the passing offense is not the high kind of volume we want, but they create such a funnel. It's kind of similar to what we see with Devontae Adams. You know, I think we could see that with A.J. Brown. If you got him healthy for a full season, you could see a 30, 32% target share, everything just being fed to this guy. And they do a lot of things to protect him in the scheme, you know, to get him into open space. I like what you said there where he does have the actual opportunity to be the wide receiver um, one in fantasy football. Where would you kind of, I got your rankings pulled up here right now for all you loyal YouTube listeners out there. I'm kind of looking at CD lamb as the cutoff of like, this guy could be the number one uh, wide receiver in fantasy football. Maybe I throw Deandre Hopkins up there as well. I understand why you have him rank lower. He is getting up there coming off the injury. I don't think the Cardinals are done addressing their pass catching situation. But if you look at your top 10 cup, Jefferson, Chase, Adams, Tyreek, Debo, Diggs, AJB, Waddle, and CD. These are all guys that are, you know, with the exception of Tyreek, who has to 
share things with Kelsey. I guess Chase sharing things a little bit with Higgins. They're all fairly undisputed number one targets in their offense that could walk their way into 150 plus targets. Awfully good players that could do that. So would you kind of put AJB in that tier still with Waddle or Lamb, or do you think he's actually, you know, on another plane still? I think I think he's I think they all go together, but like you know, there's tiers within the tiers kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that you have to give AJB um, more credit because he's he's shown that in a downfield and intermediate passing role, he can be on a targets per route run dominating player. Yeah. Lamb has still had to depend a lot on the slot. Now he's had a lot of other weapons around him. You know, twenty two percent targets per route run last year for Lamb led the Cowboys, but he's not had one of these big 26, 27, 28 percenters like what A.J. Brown has thrown up there. Waddle has thrown up really nice numbers from a targets per route run standpoint. But again, another play that's mostly done it from the slot. So A.J. Brown is a guy that we've seen be able to do it outside, working downfield where the targets are even more valuable. And we've seen the big home run explosive playability from him more so than what we've seen from Waddle and what we've seen from C.D. Lamb. So I think you just have to put him a little bit ahead of those two guys. I, I get it if someone wants to go with with one of those two players over AJ Brown, I think they are still close, but I would give him the slight nod. It is ridiculous. Just a AJB's hit rate when he has actually gotten fed like a true wide receiver one workload. He only has six career games with double digit targets, including the playoffs in five of those games. He has gone over a hundred yards to score a touchdown. Okay. Sorry. He only had 83 yards uh, in one of those and the other game. Okay. Five catches, 42 yards. Cause he was facing off against Jalen freaking Ramsey, best cornerback in the NFL. So yeah, AJ Brown, if he's actually going to be, he kind of reminds me Dwayne of like a, early career Des Bryant, where it was like, my God, this guy might actually be the best wide receiver in the NFL. It's just too bad that he's getting, you know, 120, 130 targets instead of the 160, 170 that you see some other guys around the NFL getting. So I mean, his, his all his metrics are elite. His PFF receiving grade is an 88.8. .8. That is way up there. He's got, um, you know, his targets per route run, 30%. His, his yards per route run, 2.72. After the catch, he's absurd. Yeah, after the catch, absolutely absurd. Like in a way that you wouldn't think he would be able to keep doing it, yeah. but he does. Um, you know, he's so got that. Like, I, I think I remember looking at something. It was like, I, I think it was AJB and Josh Gordon were the two guys like that were popping out in the study I was looking at because it was a uh, and because Debo started to get there this last year. But usually when you see the guys on the top of the list of the yards after the catch, like they're just you know they're playing the Rondale Moore uh, role where they're getting so many targets close to the line of scrimmage. The plays are kind of designed for them to get that yak. AJ is there with a double digit average target depth and still putting up these same sort of numbers that the small gadget guys are doing. It, it's absolutely exactly and, and like you know his his explosive play you know sort of for for receivers that's 15 plus yard plays 37 percent you look at a guy like waddle at 16 percent right now lamb is right there with him at 36 percent then the next guy on my list higgins is at 40 percent but then if you look at you know the targets per route run like he's just way ahead of these guys you know you got 30 percent for brown 24 percent for waddle 22 percent for cd lamb yards per route run 2.72 for aj brown 1.75 for waddle 1.94 for lamb so, yeah, I think he's just, you know, a tick above those guys. And we just haven't seen him get the full workload we want. If he eventually gets it, like, again, he could be the wide receiver one. He's that good. 
Moving right along, the Browns released tight end Austin Hooper. Something that, hey, Dwayne, let's give ourselves a little pat in the back. We talked about as a possibility based on his contract. And yes, they are going to designate this as a June 1st cut. Can we just remove like the June 1st cut thing from contracts? Because teams like pay attention to it, but they just cut them in March. And then like it goes through officially after June 1st. It seems kind of meaningless, but, uh, you know, I guess. I think there is a rule they can only do that with like a couple. I could be wrong. I feel like it's. Oh, no, I think. I think you're right. Players, I think I but, did see a two-player limit. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think that's it's I don't know why. I'm with you. I don't know okay. why it has to be there. It's something to do with the league year. I'm sure we could get Brad on, you know, yeah. to 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 walk us through like why. I don't know how much you and I care for fantasy, but um yeah. So what was I talking about? Which player? Austin Hooper getting <laughs> Austin released. Hooper, so yeah. with Cleveland, you know, yeah, it, it was kind of funny to me though, Dwayne, I made the uh, kind of comparison on a tweet. Like I felt like when Austin Hooper got released, everyone was like, holy shit. Like it's David Njoku's time now. Like he is going to be taking over in Cleveland. Whereas when Antonio Gibson, you know, was benefiting for that amazing day we had, you know, between March 15th yeah, and if March you need 16th. an example of how bias works, <laughs> like that, these are exactly. great examples. Same kind of thing. Take away the names, take away the players where you may have drafted them the season before. Set all those things aside and look at these two situations, and they're very similar. But people react very different ways. Why? Because they spent a second-round pick on Antonio Gibson last year when they shouldn't have, and it tanked their fantasy team. So there's this bitterness. There's bitterness in the well, Ian. Um, with Njoku, the one thing to remember, yeah, last year he we had the one game where he played you know, almost all the snaps whenever we had Austin. It was 100 Hundred percent, and Harrison Bryant really didn't. He was like out there twenty five or thirty percent, something like that. But but the year before, when we saw Austin Hooper out, it was, and these are uh, routes run per drop back in those games without Hooper. There were three of them. Harrison Bryant actually led over David Njoku every one of those games. And this Sheesh. is the same coaching staff, the same people that drafted Harrison Bryant, also the same people that just decided to you know franchise tag David Njoku. So I. I I want to be careful with Njoku. I do think he brings upside. We know he's got a very athletic profile. I think, you know, if he could get used in the right way, working the seams as a mismatch and get a higher target share, he could certainly pay off like as, you know, a tight end one. I think that's in his range of outcomes, probably being underdrafted a little bit at this point, but I have a feeling he's going to be one of these guys, Ian, because of what you're talking about, um, people are latching on to. And I think the ADP is going to start to rise. So we'll just have to see like how far does that go? Because we know that Cleveland likes to keep multiple tight ends involved. It's a big part of their offense. And, heck, they don't have anything else. They've got Amari Cooper and a bunch of tight ends right now. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. What else do they do? You know, we know Jarvis Landry is moving on. So there is definitely potential for Njoku to do more. If nothing changes, if the Browns make it through the draft and free agency and they say, hey, we're good with Njoku and Harrison Bryant. We ran three tight end offense last year. Now we're going to run a two tight end offense. Okay, now I'm a little bit more behind David Njoku as a later round pick. Kind of probably he'll be ranked, I would guess, similar uh, to Irv Smith. But I still think I'd probably take Irv. It's going to be a two tight end offense, Dwayne. And there's some examples of one guy, you know, managing to kind of overcome it and work as the lead dog. But nine times out of ten, man, I do feel like that when these real life offenses are using two tight ends fairly consistently. And to your point, maybe Bryant even works as the lead pass catcher. We saw it happen once 
could happen again. Uh, just a situation we probably want to avoid in fantasy. So it all depends on the ADP. If David Njoku is being priced outside the top 20 tight ends, okay, go ahead and spend a 16th round pick on him. Like it's not going to really impact your draft, but be really careful about assuming a guy that has never worked as, you know, a season long consistent tight end one. If he's going to be treated that way, I will probably be out. Couple other tight end deals to talk about. The Bills signed OJ Howard to a one year, $3.5 million contract. I've seen some varying opinions, I think, around the industry, Dwayne, in terms of how this impacts Dawson Knox. On the one hand, we know what Howard's capable of. He was a first round pick for a reason. I mean, before. I think even through 2020, like the, the two top two tight ends and yards per target were Gronk and OJ Howard. Like he was always incredibly efficient. The problem throughout his career was first Cam Brate was splitting snaps with him. Then obviously Gronk comes in and just takes the hell over. So I will say Howard, you know, kudos to him for coming back from the Achilles injury uh, last season. Did not look like the same, you know, seam stretcher, you know, yak beast that we saw early on in his career. That made many, including myself, think he was the next big thing at the position. Career low, 9.6 yards per catch, just 135 yards on the season. I think it's a great idea from the Bills. I mean, we saw, you know, last year, like with the two games Dawson Knox missed, I think they combined the score like 20, I think it was 32 points. But one of those performances was that dreadful 9-6 loss to the Jaguars. I still don't even understand how it happened. So three and a half million for Howard, if you're getting the guy that was on the field from 2017 to 2020, that's an absolute bargain. If you get the guy that was there in 2021, it's like, all right, that sucks, but you only paid him three and a half million. I don't really think it impacts Dawson Knox all that much because Dwayne, again, this is not this is not a Tyler Conklin contract that we'll get to that kind of uh, shows you that they're going to be using this guy. I can see Howard, I think more so probably block first tight end. That's what he was in 2021 and someone that you do feel good about if Knox goes down with injury. Yeah. I, I'm not that worried about it. And man, how far OJ Howard has fallen. <sighs> like, I mean, you got Will Disley, you got these other guys like getting these contracts that are much better than what OJ Howard's getting. Heck Ian Thomas got more than OJ yeah, Howard. What the I, hell? <laughs> it, it's crazy. So there's something going on with OJ Howard. Like, I don't know if it's something where I think it's last year, are, man, he was not back a hundred percent from the Achilles at all. He, he just wasn't right. But usually, I mean, people would know he's coming off an injury. Like I feels like there's more there and maybe it is that the fact that just the news is out, like the guy's not the same, you know? Um, so I feel bad for him. I do think he was a very talented player. Obviously, there's a lot of things that can happen once these guys come into the league, injuries being one of them, and just the psychological warfare that goes on, like of trying to every year be able to keep playing such a grueling game, yeah. you know, at a high level. I think, you know, there's a lot that goes on in the mentals as well. Not saying that OJ Howard's not, you know, able to overcome those things a bit there's certainly like some like combination of events that are going on with OJ Howard and I just don't think this is going to be a good opportunity for him. You know, it's probably going to be mostly Dawson Knox. I'm not that worried about it. Gives them the ability to, to, to use some more 12 personnel, though. So, I mean, it, it does, for Buffalo, give them an opportunity to give some different types of looks. Um, and who knows, maybe Howard can show just enough, right, in the limited snaps that he gets, that he gets another chance, you know, in the season after with another team and still, you know, maybe one day can be a starting tight end. We like, you know, we were talking before about one of the always offseason storylines like, oh, this running back's gonna catch more passes this year. I, I think, you know, we're gonna use more 12 personnel is another one of those that we're always gonna hear teams talking about. I don't think Buffalo or really any team are gonna use 12 personnel enough to like enable two fancy relevant tight ends. But, you know, for Knox, no, it's more of a real, it's more of a real NFL thing. Right. They just have to give the other team, you know, 
they're giving the other team something they have to think about and prepare for, <laughs> you know, it could be 10 plays, but, the, the, but it could be five, but the opposing defense has to know like what to do and be ready for that package, you know, so that they can defend it. And so the more bandwidth you can cause like your opponent to take up in their mind all week, like the more they have to prepare, the more things they have to be ready for. Right. That's just, that's an advantage to the offense. I will say we were kind of expecting the Bills to possibly make a bigger splash at wide receiver. They did bring back Isaiah McKenzie, but it was only, I believe it was what, two years, six million. It was not the sort of deal that really cements him as their starting slot receiver. We're still not sure what's going on with Cole Beasley. Emmanuel Sanders remains an unrestricted free agent. It's looking like it's going to be Diggs, Gabriel Davis, McKenzie, and maybe Beasley as their top four. If that's the group they're rolling with, I could see them potentially leaning on two tight end sets a bit more often. But long story short, uh, we are not really bumping. Did he bump Knox down at all? Like maybe a spot, no. but yeah, no, no, I didn't. Great, <laughs> love it. And Watch Gabriel it. Davis, I'm still like, I'm probably too low on Gabriel Davis, but I, I did it intentionally just because seeing like how high he's going in drafts right now, um, I, I think that there's a lot of risk. So if you look at underdog right now, he's the wide receiver 32. And so I still feel like that's really fragile for a guy that doesn't have a lot of draft capital. They could still draft someone else. They could still sign someone else. And even if they don't, like he could still easily be the third or fourth option on the team. I love what Gabriel Davis did in the playoffs. I do think there's still upside. I probably overly ranked him low just to kind of get my message across that I think in the range he's going right now, I think there are other options that I would much rather, what much rather be drafting. And then as the news comes in, Gabriel Davis's ADP is probably not going to go up. I think like it's basically priced in right now about as high as it's going to get. It's assuming everything working out perfectly for Gabriel Davis. So the way I treat players like that, you know, if I'm going to be drafting early in the draft season, is I'm going to limit my exposure to them because I think I can get him at the same price later, even if everything goes right. But if something changes and goes wrong, they draft another player, his ADP is going to fall. And then that's when I can gain exposure to Gabriel Davis. So just kind of a macro strategy thing that people can think through. That's the other thing that whenever we're doing these ranks, we're talking through these players. It's also to help folks think about how to really construct the right roster, not just about ranking players. I just got Gabriel Davis in one of my dynasty leagues yesterday. Tell me, Dwayne, did I get screwed on this trade? I gave up the, you know, much heralded 2023 first round pick. I am trying to contend, so I'm hoping it's a lower one. I feel like in the dynasty world, though, people act like, you know, the entire first round 2023 is going to be one Jerry Rice, like after another. Like the <laughs> amount of hype that that draft class is getting is absolutely bonkers. Anyway, I don't, it's a super flex. I don't really have a second quarterback that's going to be starting. Like I have Teddy Tyrod Taysom. It was getting weird last year. So I traded for Tannehill, Drew Locke, and Gabriel Davis, and I gave up a first round pick next year i thought it was okay it was team i think needs. it's fine and i think yeah. it's fine in a super flex if you doesn't if you didn't have a second quarterback like right Tannehill <laughs> himself is like the key to it and then to get gabriel davis thrown in i think is great you know and you'll know here and you know about a month and a half like what do you have and I get to put Drew Locke on the bench with Auden Tate and CPAT. Bands getting together. Let's just freaking go, man. You got to you gotta appreciate your players, too. Two more uh, big tight end stories to talk about here. The Jets signed tight end Tyler Conklin 
to a three-year, $21 million deal. I did not see those figures, you know, when it first happened. And I just, I already thought it was bad news for CJ Uzama. I mean, he was someone that Dwayne and I talked about in previous uh, podcasts earlier this week, like Uzama. Again, the history of these high-priced tight ends changing teams is horrendous. He's going to an offense that had the second fewest tight ends in all of football last year. There was a chance that Uzama was going to have to lose some snaps to Ryan Griffin. I mean, that's what the Jets did with Tyler Croft and Griffin for a good amount of last year. Now that they're bringing Conklin in on $7 million per year, it's almost a given now that he's going to be splitting stuff with CJ Uzama. My answer to Conklin and Uzama is no. We can probably just not talk about the Jets' tight ends for the rest of the offseason, which is fantastic. But Dwayne, it's our Smith season, man. And we were screaming this last week, and now it's more <laughs> true than ever. Conklin coming back would have been the biggest issue for Irv Smith. He's gone, and uh, we got some honorable mention stuff to get to, but the only tight end the Vikings did bring in was Johnny Munt, who's like the epitome of a block first tight end. So get Irv Smith up those ranks, man, because we got a talented player coming into a Kevin O'Connell offense that we saw with Tyler Higby is perfectly fine leaving that guy on the field for every single play. Kirk Cousins is back. People might not like him. He is a great quarterback to have for your fantasy wide receivers. Why do you think Jefferson and Thielen have been so good uh, recently? So Irv Smith, man, is someone that I just can already see myself, you know, trying to rank purposely five, six spots at least ahead of ADP because I want him on every freaking team I draft. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and I've got him at 15 right now, but it was before the Conklin news, you know, broke, um, which I mean, I'm still fine where I got him. Like you, I've got Ertz, Gusecki, and Gronk all sitting right there, but I would draft him ahead of all those players. Yeah, I think yeah. he just has more upside than those guys. Now, look, he's still going to have to deal with the fact that Justin Jefferson is the one on that team. Adam Thielen is still most likely the two. And, you know, we've got a player in KJ Osborne last year that all of a sudden flashed. And we know that with O'Connell, you're probably going to see a lot more 11 personnel from the Vikings than what we've seen in the past under, you know, Kubiak, oh, the Kubiaks, I should say, you know, we've had both Gary and Clint um, running that offense. So I think he could still just be the third or fourth option, um, but it could also end up just being more of a balanced offense after Jefferson, where you got the, the other guys all around like 18, 20 percent. But I do think the range of outcomes with how good Irv Smith is, is I think he could be as high as number two in the pecking order because Adam Thielen, right, is starting to slow down some. So, I mean, you could see that that moment where they just kind of pass each other. And now all of a sudden it's Irv Smith right after Justin Jefferson and really their offense ends up being, you know, based around those two players plus the running game. So I think when you think about it that way, um, you know, he's definitely got some upside and his downside, you know, is not really that great. He's going to be one of the key players in the offense, no matter what, it's just a matter of like how big can he grow his role? Man, I, this happens every year, Dwayne, but I see myself falling back in the trap. The later round tight ends are looking okay. You have heard Smith. <laughs> Don't say uh, it. Don't I say know, it. <laughs> I know, but uh, Smith, I agree with you. Like he's in that tier with, you know, Urch, Jasicki, Gronk. I, I'd probably even put Fant uh, below them at this point, but I, I can see that kind of being the tier. But even after them, man, Logan Thomas, Cole Komet, David Njoku, Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram. Yeah, they're, they're not sure things by any stretch of the imagination, but each of them at least has a case that you can kind of talk yourself into them becoming a tight end one, and their team has either enough commitment to them financially or has at least proven, you know, willing to give them a true every down snap rate yeah. uh one of those like you could imagine uh, what it'd be like if they did break out i'm sure uh, not all of them will though Dwayne, let's talk about the final big uh, kind of tight end news 
per Rob Gronkowski. There's a very good chance he's back with the Buccaneers while talking to fans at a Tampa Bay barbershop. One of my college buddies also ran into Gronk at like a Whole Foods, I think, and uh, Gronk just smiled and said, you have to wait and find out uh, when he asked if he was coming. So unfortunately, it's amazing. My, that guy, I love that guy. He I can, know. You know how often he gets asked that and he can still smile and have a good time with it. I bet right? he gets asked that a thousand times a day. And he, every time you see some video of it, like the dude's being super cool with everyone. Dude, I, I mean, Gronk, like think about it. He's been, you know, in the, you know, all the media attention for the past decade, like our, probably the most covered tight end maybe ever. And he had, he had the one Bush league move on Tredavis white. We remember that. And then there's the USAA commercials that everyone hates. Other than that, I cannot <laughs> say, like I, yeah. <laughs> I cannot say a single bad thing about Gronk, um, which is pretty impressive. Again, when you've been in the limelight as much as like, seriously, the guy's entire reputation is like based on being this party boy, fun guy. And for him to have like, no, like skeleton stemming from that, to my knowledge, Seems freaking awesome. So, and I'm Brock, sure he's got some somewhere, but the main thing doesn't. is like he treats human beings, he yes. treats them well. Yes. Like, 100%. you know, and that's the thing you're looking for. Everybody makes mistakes, but like day in, day out, like what are the common things you see Love like from, from a person and his personality and like just his nature? Like they're all very positive. Him and his brothers just, uh, I'm not reading an article, they were just like violently hung over and they just all make each other like just go through these insane workouts to stay in shape. Built different in the Gronkowski family. Back to the fantasy side of things, though. O.J. Howard, as we talked about, is out of the picture. Cam Brate is back on a restructured deal. He was making bank over the past few years. They kind of made him chill out just a little bit. But, man, it's looking like Gronk is going to once again be the undisputed tight end one in Tampa Bay. Dwayne, we all kind of fell into this trap last year. I'm not saying we didn't have a couple shares here and there to Gronk, you know, after his big two-touchdown week one. I know people uh, really got behind him at that point. But, man, throughout the whole season, and Gronk, didn't play as many games as these guys, but still impressive. Mark Andrews, number one in PPR points per game. Kelsey, number two. Tied for number three, though, with George Kittle is Mr. Rob Gronkowski. And it just seems like a situation where people are maybe holding his age a little bit more against him than they are someone like Kelsey. Let's not forget Gronk is only, I believe, 144 days older than Kelsey. Dwayne. Is Gronk, like, I mean, we're talking about late-round tight ends, and I'm not disagreeing with your rankings, but if Gronk is going to be outside the top 12 tight ends in ADP, why isn't he just the guy that we want to scoop up? Well, and he's a guy, once he signs, like, he's going to move up my okay. ranks. You gotcha. know, just with this version of my rankings, like, the first one, again, was really, I, I clearly just said, this assumes X, this assumes Y, this assumes, you know, Z. This is much more of a... We kind of have to consider both sides because people really are starting to draft more best ball. So I wanted to take more of a blended approach with these ranks. And so a player that was still a free agent like Rob Gronkowski, I Dude, just he's had tight have, end 23 on underdog right now. I know you should be, you should be buying him now. Like you yeah. should be buying him right now. Absolutely. But he and might so not go I, up as high as you're thinking. So like, I, right. I, I understand. Well, I think he'll climb inside the top 10. If it, once he signs, I think he'll climb inside the top 10. If he does it, we need the freaking pals, man. Yeah, like he should be over Fant. He should be over Gasecki for sure. I would take him over Dawson Knox as well. Um, I would probably take him over Pat Fryermuth. I think then we're you over get, ranking Fryermuth a little bit as an industry, by the yeah, way. I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, he did really well as a rookie, though. Like, you know, I mean, Zach, Gentry out with, Zach Gentry played more than him the last sample game we have. Yeah, I don't care. 
So. <laughs> what do you mean you don't care? I got to hear about your seventy-eight it's, it's one, it's percent outs. Like, oh, every I know. Freaking I'm, mess, week. I'm messing with you. It's a. I don't. It's just. It's one game. Like, I'm just not that worried about it. Like, Zach Gentry is a blocking tight end. So I like, realize that. I'm just not sure Mitch Trubisky is going to be the guy to really unlock. Well, hey, I, I get that. I, I think that's fair. And so, I mean, that's why I say with Fryermuth, I think once you get to Schultz and Goddard and Hawkinson, uh, I think that's the tier that Gronk belongs in. Yeah. Below, like if you think of even one big tier of being Andrews, Kelsey, Pitts, Kittle, Waller. Yeah. Um, I think those all those guys could all easily be the number one target on their team. We know that's not going to happen with Gronk. He could be the number one target, but it won't be like by 5 or 10% target share. Like it could be by 1%, right? And Godwin yeah. could be right behind that or Evans. You know, and now you got to deal with Russell Gage also being part of the equation. So it's going to be pretty spread out in Tampa. And we know they like to get their backs involved in the passing game, too. But still, it's the touchdowns. He and Brady are just absolutely on the same page. Gronk can still come up with those three touchdown games for you. Gronk, surely back in the top 10. And look, Frymouth would definitely be in that tier. If we're looking at them, we think the targets are going to be somewhat equal between, you know, him, Knox, Ertz, uh, Irv Smith and stuff. You just kind of get to the point where it's like, all right, well, now let's compare the quarterbacks. Yeah, let's take the guy that got Brady. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So just some. So I think that's where he belongs. Once he signs, he goes with Hawkinson, Goddard, and Schultz. Yeah. Then I think you've got a next tier below that's with Fryermuth, Knox, Fant, Ertz, Gasecki, Irv Smith. I think that's all a tier. Potentially Logan Thomas. Sneaking in there now that we know Ricky Sills Jones is gone. Logan Thomas, you know, the year before last was an absolute steal at tight end. We know that they re-signed him last last offseason. They gave him some money. So I think those would probably be the tiers. But I definitely think Gronk jumps up at least one, two, three, four, five, six spots, maybe seven in the ranks, maybe eight. Um, you, you could argue to put him at the top of that tier with Hawkinson, Goddard, and Schultz. Yes, you could. All right, everyone, those are the main topics we wanted to cover. Again, still plenty of news out there, so Dwayne and I will be back either Friday morning, worst case, early next week, you know, covering each and every fancy relevant deal. Just some quick hits, though, things we don't need to spend quite as much time on, but still important, some might argue. The Buccaneers did re-sign Chris Goblin to a three-year, $60 million contract. They had already franchise-tagged him, so now that's basically bought them time for the extension. So we always knew he was coming back to Tampa Bay, and obviously, with Antonio Brown out of the picture in place of Russell Gage, uh, you could imagine Brady feeding Goblin the ball more than ever from the friendly confines of the slot. Brown's also signed wide receiver Jakeem Grant to a three-year contract. We know how much they love two tight ends. It seems like Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones will be in two wide receiver sets. I think Grant's going to mostly be a return specialist, not someone we need to worry about too much in fantasy land. Raiders signed wide receiver Mac Hollins to a one-year contract. Did some okay things with the Dolphins. He had that catch uh, two years ago on probably the single best throw of 2020 when Fitzpatrick was getting his head ripped off and somehow still squeezed it down the sideline um, against the Raiders, but Hollins, you know, early in his career with the Eagles, he showed off some nice field stretching goodness. He's been hurt uh, for a good amount over his career. And in Las Vegas, though, right now, Zay Jones out of the picture. Obviously, Henry Ruggs is as well. I'm really imagining Deshaun Jackson is as well. Mac Hollins, if they don't do much else, could slide into three wide receiver sets. Now, Vegas, they did go ahead and sign a fullback, having McDaniels there. I don't think he's going to, I don't think the number three wide receivers going to be anything close to fancy relevant, but Hollins could in fact be a starter. Similar kind of, you know, talking points with the Panthers re-signing Brandon Zilstra and also signing Rashard Higgins. 
Terrence Marshall got beat out by Zilstra last season. Like Zilstra was straight up working ahead of Marshall for basically the final 75% of the year. It seems like Higgins, Zilstra, and Marshall could be fighting for that number three wide receiver job behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. God forbid they upgrade the quarterback situation, but yeah, we don't want to deal with these complimentary guys. Uh, Washington Commanders re-signed wide receiver Cam Sims to a one-year $3 million deal. Cam Sims done some good, good stuff after the catch sometimes, but not someone that we're going to really be worried about in Fantasyland. Similar sentiment with the Dolphins re-sign, or not re-signing, but signing Trent Sherfield to a one-year deal. Yet another 49ers convert uh, joining McDaniel in Miami. But yeah, not expecting him to do much. Kudos to Sherfield. You know, beat out Brandon Ayuk for a couple weeks in in 2021 but i think with all the money and just capital going to waddle parker and cedric obviously he won't be in three wide receiver sets same thing is true for the bucks resigning Brashad perryman he'll be fighting for that wide receiver four job with the likes of scotty miller tyler johnson and jalen darden any of these stick out to you at all Dwayne? I think the Ricky Seals Jones at tight end sticks out the most just yeah. because it's it's a, it's with the Giants. We saw Seals Jones flash um, a little bit, you know, and again, he's a guy that has really been learning to play the position that he's playing at the NFL level. Um, now he's not, I, I remember last year Aikman was broadcasting game. He's like, I like this young guy, Seals Jones. We're like, Troy, he's been in the league yeah. like, you know, like 30. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's not a name that people know. So kind of along the same lines of a Logan Thomas, you know, a late bloomer at the position. And, you know, he's going to have an opportunity. You know, we'll see what else they may do at the draft. It's not a great draft class for tight end. There's still a few tight ends that are available, you know, in free agency. So we could see the Giants do something else. But as of right now, I would think Ricky Seals Jones is the starting tight end for the New York Giants. Logan Thomas back in Washington. Jordan Renan reported that the reason why RSJ did decide to go to the Giants was because of the better chance of having a larger role in the offense. We just need to see what that role is going to be. Obviously, Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, even Caden Smith are out of New York. I agree. Rick, Ricky Seals-Jones should be the projected starting tight end. Let's find out if that's that not literally 100% snap roll that Washington was willing to give him or if it's going to be something where he's actually splitting snaps targets enough uh, to not really be fantasy relevant. But he is, you know, again, 20 tight ends we can probably talk ourselves into fantasy right now. After that group, I think RSJ probably is deserving of, uh, you know, right there at the bottom. But mentioned this before, but good news for Irv Smith. Vikings signed tight end Johnny Munt, who's a blocker. Also good news for Albert O, low-key. Broncos signed tight end Eric Tomlinson, who is also a pure blocker. These are the exact types of signings we want. Someone's going to go out there, not take away routes and targets from our guys. Similar sentiment with the Cardinals re-signing tight end Max Williams to a one-year deal. He was their full-time tight end before tearing his ACL the first five weeks of last season. But look, one-year contract versus Zach Ertz getting 30-plus mil over three years i think it's pretty clear that Ertz is going to be the guy williams probably just going to take you know the 20 30 snaps that they were giving uh daryl daniels down the stretch of last year quickly with the running back position the panthers signed running back deontay foreman to a one-year two million dollar contract uh texans continue to just do all sorts of weird things royce freeman back on a one-year deal dario guba wale two-year 3.3 million dollar contract and also the chiefs re-signed Derek Gore, who is an exclusive rights free agent, had that great drive on Monday Night Football and caused everyone in fantasy to lose their damn minds for a bit. Real quick on the Texans, Dwayne, it's just kind of like ridiculous the players that the Texans have signed over the past two years, like with a straight face and pretending like they're actually competing. Here are the running backs and wide receivers the Texans have signed over the past 12 months. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, Rex Burkhead, Dario Ogubawale, 
Danny Amendola, Chris Conley, Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief, Chris Moore, and Andre Roberts. I'm not leaving out good guys like for the purpose of this tweet. This is a miserable group of weapons. And again, it takes me back to them, uh, you know, for them to fire their coach and like cite their offense performance as the reason why. It's like they just never even had a chance. Uh, quit pretending like that's what you were doing. Anyway, they're taking, they're taking analytics to the extreme. Don't pay running backs and don't pay slot receivers. Like half of, half of those names you just gave us were running backs and slot receivers. Zero everything is the Houston Texans' uh, real life strategy. Apparently, Dwayne, I think the one thing here that deserves a little bit of fantasy talk is Deontay Foreman going to the Panthers. I don't think this really impacts McCaffrey much at all. Perhaps they decide like, hey, we don't want to give McCaffrey 15 to 20 carries per game anymore. Foreman, to his credit, you know, did come in and, you know, serve as I think like a middle, lower middle class man's version of Derrick Henry uh, with the Titans last year when he was out. I think the bigger takeaway for this, Chuba Hubbard dynasty value looks terrible. And I don't even think there's a handcuff worth pursuing in Carolina right now. I think Amir Abdullah is still um, an unrestricted free agent. So keep an eye on that. But assuming Abdullah comes back, which may Maybe I shouldn't be assuming that, but let's say he does. If McCaffrey gets hurt, we could be looking at a legit three back committee nightmare and a terrible offense. You know, Dwayne, there are, we've talked about, you know, the Khalil Herberts of the world. There are some sneaky handcuffs out there. I don't think there is one in Carolina worth pursuing this year. I don't either. And if you were to take one, I think it is Foreman. You yeah. Know, we, we saw what he did last year and we saw what Chuba Hubbard did. And so I think Foreman just looked better. Um, and look, Chuba Hubbard could turn things around. Um, but again, to your point, like it just makes it enough of a question mark for me in the offense that we're talking about. And neither one of these guys has really great receiving chops, which is what we're really looking for. You know, a back that we think could come in and truly play in the passing game and on rundowns. And so I don't think we have that right now. And unless Abdullah is back and again, probably just a split situation and the offense is not good. Texans signed former Washington, former Carolina quarterback Kyle Allen to a one-year, $2.5 million contract, most well-known for going to high school with Mark Andrews and absolutely tormenting Curtis Samuel in 2019. I swear to God, Samuel would have had 1,500 <laughs> oh, yeah, yards did. with competent quarterback play. Uh, shout out to Curtis Samuel for finally getting to not play uh, with Kyle Allen for the first time in quite uh, some time. Now I'm hoping that uh, you know James Washington can get away from Mason Rudolph. Those dudes have been together forever as well that would have been curtis samuel's breakout season like he was playing great oh. but the quarterback play just was not there oh i know Dwayne, and it was everyone that tries you to... you you were doing it and then jay moyer was the other guy that was like throwing up videos uh of it like it was and it was Pull every right week now. early especially early in the season like oh man there were some huge misplays makes me freaking sick man final note is the giants went ahead and added uh um, tyrod taylor to go be a backup for mr daniel jones so it's actually awesome i, I thought the tyrod taylor signing was pretty uh great Dwayne. like yeah he is a journeyman quarterback and all this he's a great scheme fit uh in new york and yeah i get it there you know you wouldn't think daniel jones and tyrod are necessarily the same quarterback but we know how much daniel jones runs tyrod you know okay he's not maybe the same guy he was five years ago back with the bills obviously still possesses you know that skill set and hey he's better than mike glennon Dwayne. i'll take it and he's not gonna be threatening daniel jones like to the same extent that someone like trubisky was um 
on this late round, you know, quarterback cycle. I know Daniel Jones was someone that we were talking up on the waiver uh, wire pods kind of early in last year. Unfortunately, he got that concussion against the Cowboys. Wasn't really the same after that the rest of the way. I'm not sure if that's because of the concussion or just kind of general uh, ineptitude of the offense. But first four weeks of 2021, Daniel Jones, QB 12, QB 4, QB 24, and then QB 7. Unfortunately, couldn't finish in the top 12 the rest of the year. We all know back in 2019, you know, only Lamar Jackson had more 30-plus fantasy point games than Daniel Jones. Could Daniel Jones, like, maybe be the guy ranked outside the top 20 quarterbacks that we should be targeting? Because I just think there's, you know, we're not going to be relying on any of these guys as, like, to be our one QB league redraft starter or anything like that. But I feel like between Mitch Trubisky, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, and probably Daniel Jones, like one of those guys is going to, maybe Zach Wilson, you can throw him in there too. One of these guys is going to hit Dwayne. I think we see that every year. Daniel Jones, at least more so than some of these guys, has shown to have a fancy friendly skill set. Yeah, and I think, you know, just the fit with Brian DeBole, you know, yep. so we know that he liked to use uh, Josh Allen's legs. Um, he used it in design run plays, not just scrambles. So I think, you know, Josh Allen, obviously a bigger, stronger guy that can take a little more punishment. I don't think we'll see quite as much of it, um, with Daniel Jones, but we've seen that be something that he's capable of doing. And now he has the scheme fit. And then to your point, that makes Tyrod Taylor the perfect backup really, um, because they can come in and still do the same types of things, make the opposing defense have to worry about the quarterback utilizing their legs, which is a good thing when you're trying to open up space for, you know, a group of skill players that just hasn't been able to get things going. Now you could argue a lot of that has really been due to injuries last season, you know, on paper, it looked like the giants had a really good receiving core. We just never got to see it all together. Like it was either Kenny Galladay was off and on all season and he got hurt in training camp that ruined timing right away with Jones. Then you had Sterling Shepard on and off the field. We know Kadarius Tony flashed huge when he was out there, but he struggled to stay on the field. And then Evan Ingram battled his own problems as well. So we just never saw those guys together, obviously with Ingram gone, and it would be nice to see, you know, if we can see all those guys healthy, healthy and then also a scheme that's just making defenses have to worry about more layers of the field, opening up some space for those playmakers, playmakers especially like Kadarius Tony. Actually, just got some quick news before we get out of here. Bills have officially released Cole Beasley, setting up Isaiah McKenzie to be the slot receiver for now. Don't freak <laughs> out. Gabriel Davis is the guy that should be going, you know, in that potential wide receiver three range. I would be shocked, Dwayne, if they're going to add someone else to this room. And I don't think they're going to be taken away from Diggs or Gabriel Davis. I think it's probably going to be from Isaiah McKenzie like that. Am I looking too much in the contract? I understand McKenzie had two awesome games over the past two years. And even between that, you know, as a, you know, occasional returner on the pop passes, like I get it. He's explosive. I just – I don't know about this McKenzie hype, man. We saw him getting out of tight end. Do we really want to go after McKenzie? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're drafting late, it's fine. You know, just – I mean, we think he's a capable player. But to your point, it's not like he got this big contract. You know, so he's not a player that, like, if he starts climbing in ADP now based on this news, like, you don't want to get overweight on him because there's probably going to be another shoe that's going to fall that's going to push his ADP back down. Um, so, and he's never, he's not a player that's ever going to climb way high in ADP hell, like Cole Beasley, despite what he had done the two previous seasons, wasn't high in ADP last year. So I think, I think with the guy, reasons. well, yeah, yes, it was, but even the year before, like it, Cole Beasley's never gotten the respect, like in, in ADP from an ADP standpoint, as far as fantasy goes, like it's just never been there even after production. So 
Um, we'll wait and see. My guess is um, they are. I, I think there's a really good possibility the Bills draft a receiver in the first round. Exactly. And That's, if they do, if you if they do, you're going to see Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie's um, stock and their ADP go down. Beasley last three years in Buffalo, man, over a hundred targets every single year in 2020. I mean, I think he came out and said he considered himself the best slot receiver in the NFL. He had an argument for it. I think in terms of like the true, like the slot receivers that aren't playing anywhere else. Like I'm not going to sit here and try to say Cole Beasley is better than Chris Goblin or anything like that, but man, he was something special in 2020. And you know, the fact that this dude played through a broken leg, hasn't missed more than uh, two regular season games going back all the way to his rookie year in 2012. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if there is a market for him, you know, assuming teams are willing to, you know, probably take a little slap on the wrist in terms of the public's opinion of the signing. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, re reunion with the Cowboys, Pittsburgh, there are still a handful of teams out there that could use um, a slot receiver. You know, Beasley hasn't exactly been winning with pure straight line speed throughout his career. I uh, can probably still give some teams some help out there i think that's gonna wrap it up Dwayne. like i said before we will either be back tomorrow or a little bit later uh next week i am gonna be in vegas from saturday to tuesday uh so it might be coming to you from a hotel hopefully the wi-fi doesn't screw me too bad anything anything else you want to get off your chest no man i think we got it all uh let's see where deshaun watson lands like it's like i feel like we need that domino to fall for like everything else just to get going but there are a ton of players like um alan robinson you mentioned leonard fournette melvin gordon um just there's there's a lot Cordero of names. patterson Auden Tate, Chris herndon they're everywhere yeah there's a ton of names that just haven't moved it's not good for them rashad penny um is another big one yeah. sony michelle ronald jones I mean, there's a lot of players that have yet to find a home. So there's going to be plenty more to cover. So excited to, to keep on rocking it. Make sure you check out the PFF Fantasy Football Free Agency Tracker. Myself, Dwayne Nathan Yonke, I've been putting our blood, sweat, and tears into that all week long. You can catch all the – I mean, I, I literally wrote up Eric Tomlinson and some of these people. I think you would be shocked to find uh, a more complete and thorough kind of breakdown, immediately uh, immediate reactions of the fantasy football signings out there in the industry. Again, pff.com, and it's free. And if you want to go get some cool stuff behind the scenes, go ahead and use code FANTASY for 25% off any PFF subscription great day to be great great day to go get a pff sub remember code fantasy for 25 percent off for Dwayne, i'm ian thanks so much for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody